you know, eighth grade health classes, you're taught that mental illness looks like someone who's in a black hoodie, they don't talk to their friends, their grades are dropping. And that's not to say that that presentation of mental illness doesn't exist, but I thought that was the only presentation of mental illness. And so because I didn't fit that image, I thought I can't possibly be ill, so I don't need help. As the COVID-19 pandemic enters its third year, we are still working to fully understand its impacts from lost lives and livelihoods to years of learning loss to a complete rewiring of how we think. And during that time, we've seen the emergence of a new crisis in mental health with record rates of depression, anxiety, and stress. How will we recover from all of this? How will we build back resilience? I'd strongly advocate that we need to do it together and that we're stronger in numbers. I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Catalyst for Change, brought to you by the Shaw Family Foundation. Over the next few weeks, we're speaking with mental health leaders about what's driving this crisis, how to meet the overwhelming need, and what local innovators here in Boston are doing to drive solutions. In today's episode, we're joined by Kat Boyd, a student leader at Harvard University and campus co-president of Active Minds a nationwide organization aiming to change the conversation about mental health and provide support and awareness for college students across the country. Hey, Kat, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So, Kat, you're a junior at Harvard. You're also co-president of Harvard's chapter of Active Minds. And so I'd like to talk about both of those things, but can you start by talking about what's it like to be a college student these days, and especially with the pandemic happening and lots of chaos, right? So what's it like to be at school? Um, definitely still stressful, but I think that's just the Harvard experience. Um, everyone's chronically overcommitted and overworked. We're definitely still seeing remnants of the Zoom era in terms of, you know, I've had classes that will semi-regularly meet over Zoom, Yeah, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's been relatively normal and it's been really great to be back. Yeah, so everything's coming back and it's starting to feel, when you say normal, is normal good? I think so. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Yeah. (laughs) And so what do you study at Harvard? I study human developmental and regenerative biology with a secondary in psychology. And you got involved with Active Minds at Harvard. Can you talk a little bit about when you got involved with that organization and and why? Yeah, so I actually got involved first with the Student Mental Health Liaisons, which is a peer education group about mental health. I joined that in 2018 as a freshman, and that was just an incredible experience because mental health is something that really was not talked about in my high school at all. I personally was struggling a lot with my mental health and I had a lot of internalized stigma. And so coming to college forced me to confront some of the things that I was struggling with and getting to the other side of that is what got me really invested in mental health advocacy. You were struggling with mental health issues and also with an internalized stigma. Can you talk a little bit about what that means and what you were kind of saying to yourself and what was happening around you? Yeah, internalized stigma looks different for everybody. But for me personally, I had experienced some, I won't go into it, I experienced some trauma in high school and I started to struggle with symptoms of PTSD. I was also really struggling with mood swings, just 
feeling very out of control. Meanwhile, I was still getting really good grades and thriving in all my extracurriculars. And so I started to kind of cope with how I was doing. I started self-harming and I still was very much in denial. Like self-stigma to me was that I kept telling myself, like, I'm fine. I don't need help. I have it under control, especially when you're still getting good grades. You know, we have this in so many of eighth grade health classes. You're taught that mental illness looks like someone who's in a black hoodie. They don't talk to their friends. Their grades are dropping. And that's not to say that that presentation of mental illness doesn't exist. But I thought that was the only presentation of mental illness. And so because I didn't fit that image, I thought I can't possibly be ill, so I don't need help. That's why I think it's so important to talk about all the different ways that mental illness presents and mental health on a whole. It's a a spectrum. So yeah, does that answer your question? It it answers my question. Um, Yes, absolutely. And I appreciate you sharing that. I think it's so important for both students and adults to hear your explanation of that, because I think so many of us sit with that image that you just described the person with the black hoodie and don't realize that there's so many folks who are presenting in different ways, but maybe not outwardly. And I'm curious, were adults in your life noticing or were you able, did you feel empowered to find someone who you thought might be able to help you? How did that play out? I unfortunately hit it really well. And I think that's the case for a lot of students who are struggling with mental illness is that they don't want to come off as weak. And so I have wonderful parents. I have a great home life. Um, My parents are very supportive. I had teachers that I trusted, but I still didn't feel comfortable coming forward because I was so uncomfortable with the idea that I was struggling and that I you know, felt like I was doing something wrong. And this is sort of the point of the organization that you now are co-president of the chapter at Harvard, Active Minds, is that what's very important is to make the conversation normal, uh, to normalize thoughts and feelings and discussion of mental health so that we can talk about those sorts of issues in the same way that we can talk about someone's broken ankle. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so can you talk a little bit about what attracted you to Active Minds? How did you get Active Minds participating at Harvard? And and what what do you do exactly with this student organization? I actually can't speak to the transition period very much because when we went online in March of 2020, I started to personally struggle with my mental health. And so I took a leave of absence. So the entire transition period from the student mental health liaisons to becoming a registered chapter of Active Minds happened entirely outside of my control. But Active Minds at Harvard, basically we run everything from small events, like an info session on how to find counseling outside of Harvard. That can be a mental health panel from student lived experiences. In the fall, we actually work with Harvard administration for the first years to hold workshops for all 1,600 incoming freshmen. And so what that looks like is we work with 20 to 30 first-year students at a time for 75 minutes to go over like case studies of different presentations of mental illness and really work through the resources that are available. So that's really powerful to be able to reach every single incoming 
first year, especially on a peer-to-peer basis, because they're so overloaded with, you know, administration and the online training things that you just skip through. (laughs) So I've always found it particularly powerful to to work with students on a peer-to-peer basis. What's the reaction of students and faculty as you bring this information to them and try to motivate them to have more open conversations about mental health? Are they relieved? Are they excited? Are they worried? What are kind of the typical reactions? It's a range. I think a lot of it depends on the experience that you have talking about mental health. There are some people who come to Harvard, myself included, who have literally never had that conversation before. And so it's very surprising to hear people talk openly about their depression, their anxiety, because that's just not a conversation I ever had. There's other people who, you know, say, oh, we have an Active Minds chapter at our high school. It's so great to see that Harvard has this. When I've talked to professors about mental health advocacy, a lot of them are surprised that it's happening at the scale that it does and simultaneously that it's still not enough. Talk a little bit about the scale. Research is showing that there's a large rise in the number of young people dealing with mental health issues. One survey showing that 50% of respondents were dealing with personal mental health issues. It might even be higher. As we are doing work in K through 12, we're hearing aggressively pleading calls from higher ed because the same thing and maybe with even greater magnitude is happening in the colleges and universities. How are college students, graduate students feeling? And do they have the resources that they need to address this in school? Across the board, mental health care is severely under-resourced. You know, at the University Health Services, we have the Counseling and Mental Health Services, and they're really struggling to keep up with the requests for counseling. They're only able to see students for a short time period before they get referred into the community. At its worst, it's been six to eight weeks wait time before getting your first appointment. And unfortunately, with the triage process, if you're not in crisis, you get put off. And so preventative care really isn't able to be prioritized because there just simply isn't enough staff to handle how many people are requesting therapy or, you know, medication. It definitely varies school to school. I've spoken with people who go to other universities or went to other universities. And when I've complained about, you know, oh, it's so frustrating to see that Harvard still isn't doing enough for this. They say, whoa, you had that, you know, kind of surprised that we have the resources we do. So it's definitely a weird position to be in especially because getting referred into the community for therapy is still not a guarantee that you get a therapist, especially when you're considering in-network, out-of-network, whether or not they fit your needs. There's still a wait list no matter where you go. So it's a really complicated issue. Yeah, demand is much higher than supply. I'm curious if Active Minds thinks about the scalability of any sorts of preventative solutions, building resiliency, using peers to help ease this gap, this six to eight week gap before professional care can be introduced. How how does Active Minds think about that? How do you think about that at, at Harvard? As an organization and as an individual, I recommend to people that there are things they can do in between 
realizing you need mental health care and receiving professional mental health care. There's text lines when it comes to crisis. I think a lot of people think when it comes to a text line or a hotline that they need to be considering suicide or something very severe. And that's not the case at all. You can reach out to text lines or hotlines for any range of issues and severity. Harvard has its own 24-7 hotline, the CAMS CARES line. And something that I especially love about Harvard, um, other universities have this, but the peer counseling groups, there's five different peer counseling groups. So peer counselors are Harvard students that receive around 40 hours of training to be equipped to not professionally counsel people, but offer a space where an individual can work through their issues. And it's such an effective way to introduce someone to mental health care is to not see a therapist first, but to see just a peer, as well as bridge the gap between reaching out for help and receiving help. So as part of this series, we've been talking to healthcare professionals about treatment, but none of them can actually pinpoint the underlying mechanism for this crisis, this like growing crisis. And given that you were a student in high school, you're now looking back, recognize it evolving. Can you talk a little bit about it from a student perspective? What were the pressure points that you think were the underlying mechanisms that kind of set this off? A big one, I think, is academic pressure. I've always been a very highly motivated student and also very self-critical when it comes to grades and achievement. And especially when you're in a high school environment where it's like, oh, here's this AP class and here's another AP class. And all of a sudden you're taking four or five AP classes at the age of like 16. <laughs> it, it really, the workload builds up. And so you also have this pressure to do more extracurriculars and then start thinking about college. I was asked like as early as eighth grade, oh, are you, what colleges are you looking at? And I'm like, I, I don't even know what I want to do with my life. <laughs> I think there's just a lot of stimulus all at the same time. And it's really hard to just step back and take a break without feeling like you're getting left behind. I know that there were plenty of days where I wanted to stay home or I was really, you know, physically sick, especially in a time where like, if you're not dying, you show up to school with a fever and a cough. I would really struggle with the anxiety of, well, I can't take a day off because I'll get so behind in my work. Mm -hmm. So even when you implement things like mental health care days or, you know, consider mental health to be something you can take a sick day for, it just feels like you can't slow down. What's perpetuating that environment? Is it, is it parents? Is it adults, teachers, schools? Is it something that's in the ethos of students today? Is it all of the above? And any thoughts on how we turn off the pressure cooker and get more realistic about what a high school student's life should be like to be healthy? I'm really not sure. Honestly, something that I see, I see it especially at Harvard, I saw it in my high school, is what is known as the suffering Olympics, <laughs> which is where you're just all competing to be the most miserable <laughs> And that sounds super counterintuitive, but there is something to be said about, oh, you think you have it hard. I was up. I only got six hours of sleep not last night because I was working so hard. And oh, you think you have it bad? I only got four hours of sleep last night. 
And this competition to just be the best is really, really unhealthy. <laughs> A good part of it is this culture as students that we've created. Yeah. Is it reinforced, though, by the adults in the room? Absolutely. It was reinforced for me. I got into Harvard. <laughs> that tells me that all the unhealthy things I did in high school, the sleep deprivation, the overworking, it worked. <laughs> but it didn't solve it didn't solve the problem. No, it worsened all of the issues, the underlying issues that I had. What should people be looking for? You know, are, are there things that are more subtle that we should be looking for in order to unearth and start conversations with kids in order to help them? I'm not sure it's a matter of like unearthing or necessarily being able to, you know, point out that someone is struggling with their mental health. It's more about creating a space in which somebody feels comfortable talking about those things. It doesn't mean that when someone asks you, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. How are you? That's more of a greeting. But it's important that you feel comfortable talking to a friend in the same way that you would say, oh, I've got this headache. It's driving me nuts. Or, you know, oh, I don't think I can hang out tonight. I've got a, a stomach bug. The same, we should be talking about the symptoms of mental illness or symptoms of poor mental health because mental health is a spectrum ranging from just struggling with feelings of sadness, depression, anxiety, but it doesn't have to be a full-blown diagnosis or anything. You don't need a diagnosis of anything to be struggling with your mental health. And so somehow we need to work together on shifting this culture of competitive Olympics, competitive suffering to something that is inclusive of how that makes many kids feel. So if you were to, you know, kind of talk to a student today or an adult who's in the lives of students today, what's one tangible thing that you would say to each of them? What advice would you give? I think especially to professors or teachers, you know, at any level is just to have more empathy. I don't personally believe that someone is intentionally lazy. I think that if a student is struggling to get to just to turn in their assignments on time or they're struggling to participate in class, there can be things going on in the background rather than just jump to the conclusion of they're not trying hard enough. So I think that just approaching situations with much more empathy and less assumptions about how someone is doing is really important for changing that culture. And what are you doing, Kat? What are you doing to take care of yourself? <laughs> That's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> Always is, right? Uh, yeah. Um, getting to where I am today, it required me to go to therapy. It required me to find a therapy that worked. I was in therapy for a year before I learned that what I needed was dialectical behavioral therapy. It also took me a while to figure out what medication I needed. I learned that antidepressants weren't working for me. What I needed was a mood stabilizer. And so it's a long 
process to figure out what you need. I also joined group therapy. And so it was really important for me to talk to other people who were actually experiencing the same thing or similar things that I was. Because to say that you're not alone is not necessarily enough. A lot of us know, like, you can look at the statistic, oh, this percentage of people struggle with depression, this percentage of people are diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but that doesn't, it doesn't feel real until you meet people with those experiences and talk about those experiences. And that's why I think it's so important to just talk openly about how you're doing. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think in the spirit of just trying to normalize the conversation, I agree with you that therapy for me also, the talk therapy is so valuable. You know, we live in the city, but nature is really important to my mental health. And so I found myself leaning up against trees on the Esplanade lately (laughs) to try to reground myself. But it's actually incredible, right? And I I keep wondering when someone's going to stop me and ask me why my forehead is pressed against a tree. But but I think, you know, these things are, are so important to just bring to normalize the conversation because there's so many things we can do to be more connected to one another and to ourselves, right? Because it's it's really about how do we get inside our bodies and stabilize the feelings inside our bodies so that we can feel calm and, and healthy. In terms of what it looks like to take care of your mental health, I think that if I went to go push my head against a tree. I don't think it would do anything, but that that speaks to how important it is to that there is no one size fits all for mental health right. care and what works for you. It's so important to tell people not to get discouraged when they're trying to find something that works and nothing's working. Just keep trying until you find something that works because something will. Kat, this has been very valuable to me. I really appreciate the time that you took with us. I appreciate all the work that you do at Harvard with Active Minds. And thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great to speak with you. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Kat Boyd. Active Minds and young people like Kat are doing meaningful work to change the conversation about mental health and to provide students across the country with the resources and spaces needed to address mental health issues. Kat, I really appreciate your candor during our conversation. I hope that you enjoyed today's podcast, and if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your friends. Have a great day.